0: Man standing on the solid rock. Man, Love that song. Love hearing them sing it. I'm telling you what, boy, it's good. I like coming to church. I don't know if y'all can tell, but I like coming to church. I don't put it on either. Sometimes I'm feeling down in the dumps when I get here. Sometimes I'm just like, blah. But boy, I'm telling you what, after I hear the singing and after I fellowship with God's people and we get closer and closer to time to getting his word, I'm t- I just, I like it. It's good. It's the best vitamin you'll ever take. I'm telling you what, if you've never fallen in love with Jesus, I mean, I know you're here. And I know you think church is important, I get that, but if you've never fallen in love with Jesus, let me encourage you to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never experience anything better than having the Holy Spirit on the inside of you just stirring you up in the Lord's house. Amen. Boy, amen. Tell you what, I like being in the Lord's house. We're going to be starting in the book of Genesis tonight, or to this morning, starting in the book of Genesis. I normally teach Genesis on Wednesday night, so that just goes together, Genesis and tonight. But we'll be in Genesis this morning, so you want to turn to Genesis chapter number 2 is where we'll be starting. I do want to mention, I, I didn't mention it a moment ago, because of the nature of the service tonight, uh, because of what we'll be talking about and the nature of the service, we will not be live streaming the service tonight. So there will be no live streams tonight. So just keep that in mind. If you talk to someone who is interested, let them know it won't be live streamed. Uh, just because of the nature and it's something that we're discussing as a church. Uh, there's not really a need to live stream it. There's not really a message. And then when once we got into the question and answer, our live stream equipment can't really pick up everybody's questions and answers and it doesn't make sense. So that we will not be live streaming. So if you are interested, be here. If you know someone that's interested, let them know to be here. I will try uh, to remember to send out a church cast this afternoon. If I... Wake up from my nap. uh, uh, I I very, very rarely take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Other folks in the family always do, but I rarely do. But uh, I'll do my best. Remember to send out a church cast and let folks know if you're interested. Be here because we will not be live streaming the service tonight. Last week we looked, uh, of course, on Mother's Day, we looked at Psalm 127. We looked at the thought, accept the Lord. Build the house; they labor in vain that build it. And this week, uh, we want to continue this thought. I, I've kind of put together a rough draft of the different subjects we want to cover over the next few weeks, and I called it intentionally investing in the home. And so, we want to intentionally invest in the home, and we will be looking back and forth. Probably, we will look some at raising children. We'll look some at uh, marriage and that relationship, and we'll go back and forth and just look at some principles, some biblical principles concerning the home. And so this. This morning we're going to look at some basic Bible principles for a good marriage. And that's uh, going to be starting in Genesis chapter number 2. And uh, then we'll just look at some different things that the Lord has for us there. So let's read starting in Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 20. The Bible says, And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Well, when, you put, when the Lord puts you to sleep, you stay asleep, don't you? And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you, dear Lord, for this privilege that we have, Lord, to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for each and every member of the family of God that is gathered together here with us this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless, Lord, as we look today and over the next few weeks, oh Lord, at the subject of the home. Father, we know that if there is one place that the devil loves to attack, if there's one place uh, that he loves to cause problems, if if there's one place, a uh, uh, Lord, where it seems He can consistently get His foot into our lives and disrupt us uh, in our Christian growth. Father, it is in our home, and so Father, over the next few weeks as we look at this subject of the home, Father, I pray that You will take Your word uh, and Father, Lord, that You will speak uh, to our heart. And Father, uh, Lord, as we receive Your word, that Father, uh, it, we will listen, and Father, Lord, that we will apply it, and Father, we will make the changes necessary. Father, we know that if You instituted marriage that, Father, you intended for it to be a good thing. And, Father, I believe if we follow you, that Lord, it can be a good thing. And as we look at these principles this morning. I pray to Lord that you will take them and use them to make a difference in our life. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Uh, here in the book of Genesis, we see uh, that when God created, that God created Eve, uh, and He brought her to Adam, and in doing so, uh, God instituted uh, the the marriage. God instituted uh, a marriage between a man and a woman and God instituted uh, the home. Uh, He brought together in holy union uh, a man and a woman uh, and joined two individuals until they became what he referred to as one flesh. Uh, And this one flesh would be a unit uh, that could live and serve together for the glory of God. And God instituted uh, this at the very beginning. Uh, Many people say that it is the first uh, institution that God put in place was the marriage. Now I believe that there was another institution before that because the Bible says that God spoke with Adam before Eve was ever bo- was ever created and so I believe that the church was first and marriage was second but that's just my opinion. You can study that out for yourself. but we see here that God instituted the home, He instituted marriage. There's a few things that are interesting to note as we look at this. First of all I believe we can see that God's purpose and God's intention is whenever two people, man and woman, determine that they want to spend their life together. It is God's intention and God's purpose that they marry. The Bible tells us that in the last days there will be many who are forbidding to marry. They come together. They live together as a married couple. They they enjoy all the benefits of a married couple, but they do not honor God in going through with that marriage. I believe that right here in Genesis, God instituted that if a couple is going to come together, they ought to be married. Now that doesn't mean that we should be judgmental and hateful and, and disagreeable to those that haven't done this. But I believe we should be faithful to remind them that the Bible says that he, that everyone that feareth the Lord will be blessed. And so we should be faithful to remind these people that are abstaining from marriage that they are shorting themselves of the blessings of God and they are going to encounter difficulties and hardships and they're going to encounter things in their life that God would bless them if they would honor him. It's a philosophy of the world that it is beneficial to wait on getting married. It is a philosophy of the world that says we need to live together first before we get married. It is a philosophy of the world that says you need to find out if you can get along and you need to find out if you can spend time in the same house together. It's a philosophy of the world. The Word of God says that God's intention and God's design is for man and woman when they come of age to come together in holy matrimony and live as women one flesh and if you abstain from that you are bringing undue hardship upon your life. Whenever I see people choose to go that route I'm not angry at them I don't want to pull them aside and tell them how wicked they are my heart breaks for those people I'm like, do you not realize that there is a loving, wonderful, merciful God in heaven who with all of his heart wants to pour out his blessings on you? He wants to bestow a benevolent goodness upon you and your home. But because you will not honor him and you will not obey his word and you will not conform to what he says, you are putting yourself through undue misery because you won't honor God. So the first thing that we see when we look here in Genesis is that marriage is something that God instituted. God instituted it as the right way. God instituted it as the best way. And I believe that if we follow God's guidelines, we will find out that marriage can be the most wonderful thing in the world. The book of Proverbs said, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Marriage can be the most wonderful days of your life if you follow the principles That God puts in place. It's also interesting to note not only that He instituted marriage, but also that when He instituted marriage, He instituted it for male and female. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. He instituted it for male and female. And I don't care what the world says. I don't care how they try to justify it. I don't care how they try to explain it. The Word of God will always be true and marriage will always only be between male and female. That is what God designed and that's the only way that we'll ever receive the blessing of God is when it's between male and female. Not only did he institute marriage, not only did he institute that it was male and female, but those of you young people who think that you're never going to find your mate, I think it's interesting to realize that God brought them together. Now some of you young men who say, there's just not any young ladies for me, can you imagine being in Adam's shoes? (laughs) And Adam is naming all the animals. And here goes the elephant and the rhinoceros and the hippopotamus and the giraffe. And you talk about slim pickings. There was nobody to choose from. But God provided the perfect mate for Adam. And if you honor God and you wait on God, God will provide the perfect mate that is perfectly suited for you if you will trust God. So we see that God established marriage. He established male and female. He brought them together. They were perfectly suited for one another. Honestly, whenever we look at the marriage of Adam and Eve there in the garden, it had to be one of the most beautiful marriages that has ever existed. Uh, It was a perfect marriage. It was between two sinless people uh, in a sinless environment. Uh, This had to be the best marriage that had ever taken place. But it did not take very long before sin entered the picture. Uh, I'm telling you what, although we weren't uh, sinless when we got married, uh, many times I believe that many couples can relate to this picture here because whenever you first get married, uh, uh, you think uh, that the person you married is perfect. Uh, you've been deceived into thinking uh, that they have no flaws and that they are perfect, uh, and you come together and you think that this is just going to be the greatest relationship. Uh, and many times uh, uh, you can live together several hours, uh, but uh, well, no, excuse me, you can live together several weeks or uh, maybe even a couple of months uh, before you begin to realize uh, that the person that you married is not everything you thought they were. You see, what happens is that sin enters the door. Brother Terry, you might be careful one day, men's this morning, brother. <laughs> you see, it's not very long before sin rears its ugly head. Here in the garden it was a perfect relationship but sin came into the picture and the perfect relationship immediately began to fall apart. We see these two people who were blissful in a perfect garden. No sin. All of a sudden they are feeling guilt. They are feeling shame. They are pointing their fingers at one another. They are blaming one another. This perfect marriage has fallen apart because sin has reared its ugly head. Boy, I'm telling you what, but over and over and over again, we'll see couples come together. Uh, uh, many times, good Christian couples, uh, uh, couples with good intentions, uh, couples that have all intentions uh, of living their life for the Lord. And after a living together for a little bit, uh, the sin uh, that has caused our, our, in, in our shortcomings uh, in ourself begins to rear its head, and we begin to find ourselves in the same place that Adam and Eve found themselves: guilt and shame and blame and struggling. Actually, Adam and Eve had quite a commitment because after they began blaming one another and they found themselves in this condition, the honeymoon was over. Now it was time to learn to live together. And the Bible tells us that they lived for over 900 years. I imagine at the end of 900 years they had figured it out. (laughs) Whenever I think about marriage I feel that although we may not experience the exact situations in every relationship there are some basics that occur in every home. And there are some basic Bible principles that will help us if we apply them to avoid some of the pain that finds its way into our homes. And so what I've got this morning, honestly, I'll be honest with you, is just some random Thoughts, random things that I have jotted down that I try to remember when it comes to marriage. Some random things that if I'm talking to someone that's having trouble in their home, I'll say, here's some things you need to remember. It's just basic stuff, but if you apply it, It'll make a difference in your home. So let's pray and we'll go through these thoughts. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, that for whatever we're facing, whatever situation we're in, Lord, that there is truth in your word, Father, that will help us to navigate and help us to understand and help us to live the way that we ought to live. as we look at these uh, different principles. Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that if there are those of us, uh, Lord, who are searching, uh, Lord, for a way to find a better relationship and a closer relationship that Father will look at these principles and we'll see dear Lord that these are some things that we can add to our life that Father will help us to have the home that we ought to have. Thank you dear Lord for your goodness. I pray that you'll bless the message this morning in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. The first one that I want to look at, I've titled, Remember the Repercussion. Remember the Repercussion. And what I'm talking about here is the importance uh, of staying in a right relationship with our spouse. Uh, you know that being in a wrong relationship with your spouse uh, has uh, some pretty serious repercussions. Uh, the Word of God is filled with advice concerning how we should interact with others, uh, and many of us do okay when we apply these principles to working with others, but whenever it comes to our spouse, uh, we seem to feel like these principles in the Word of God don't apply to marriage. But whenever the Bible gives us a principle that deals with uh, interacting with others, it definitely applies to how we should deal with our spouse. And so there's some repercussions. The Bible puts a special emphasis uh, on maintaining a right relationship with our spouse, uh, and the Word of God gives us stiff repercussions when we fail to do so. In 1 Peter 3, in verse number 7, the Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Here in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 7 we have a clear indication that our relationship with our spouse is directly related to our relationship with God. There is a direct correlation. I have heard people say that they are right with God but they are at odds with their spouse. Let me just be very blunt with you here this morning. If you are at odds with your spouse you are not right with God. There is no other way to explain it. There is a stiff repercussion for being at odds with your spouse. If you want to be able to spend time in prayer getting a hold of God if you want to get into the Word of God and glean truths that have the Word of God speak to you, if you want to grow as a Christian then you must endeavor to have a right relationship with your spouse. He says here that if you, in this particular verse, he says that you need to make sure that you give honor under the wife, uh, that you treat her with respect, uh, you treat her with dignity unless uh, your prayers uh, get hindered. God is not pleased uh, when we are at odds with our spouse. Now I know uh, that there are some ladies who take that verse and get very excited about it, but do you know that the Bible also applies this to ladies as well. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 23 and this is speaking about all Christians in general. Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And thou rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled with thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. The Lord says, if you come to worship me, if you come before me and you are intending to worship me, but you are at odds with another Christian, whether that be your spouse or anyone else, you are at odds with another Christian and you come before me to worship me, before I accept your worship, I want you to go make things right with the other Christian." You know what? Many times you've heard the example that preachers give of the families being arguing all the way to church, and then when they pull in, they put the argument in the glove box and they come on in with a big smile on their face and greet everybody. Then they get back in the car, get the argument back out, and argue all the way home. Now I don't want you to lay out of church. I'd rather you come. Hopefully, I could say something in the message that would shake you up. But you know what? Really, it didn't do you any good to come because you're at odds. With another Christian. It is very important. There is serious repercussion to being at odds with your spouse. Whenever you're interacting with your spouse, remember how, that how you interact with them directly affects how you are able to interact with God. If you want to be in favor with God and receiving answers to your prayer, receiving the mercy of God, then you need to be in a right relationship with your spouse. But you know, oftentimes we find ourselves just like Adam and Eve. We're like, Pastor John, amen, you are right. If she would straighten up, I could get my prayers answered again. Pastor John, you are right. If he would quit doing the things that he does, I would be able to enjoy my Bible time again. We play the same blame game that Adam and Eve did that says it was her fault, it was his fault, it was their fault and we always want to put the fault on somebody else which brings me to my next simple basic biblical principle which is this, realize the responsibility realize the responsibility, find where the responsibility lies. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the Bible teaches that your relationship to your spouse is your responsibility. Your relationship to your spouse is your responsibility, not theirs. The way that you behave towards your spouse is your responsibility, not their responsibility. The way they're misbehaving does not give you a right to also misbehave. Your, your uh, relationship with your spouse is your responsibility. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 5 and verse number 25 that men are to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. In Ephesians 5.25, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. Then, if we go to Romans chapter number five, we are told in verse number six uh, that when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, uh, as Christ loves, uh, is how we're supposed to love. And how is it that He loves? Uh, His love is clearly demonstrated in the fact that He loves uh, the unlovable. That's how His love is demonstrated. Christ's love is the fact that he loves those who are not worthy of love. His love is demonstrated in that he shows his goodness to those who do not deserve his goodness. His love is demonstrated in that it is is poured out on those who have done nothing worthy of receiving it. And we are commanded to love our spouse the way that Christ loves the church. In other words, we love them regardless of how they behave toward us. You're like, well, Pastor John, I thought you was going to straighten my spouse out. No, no, that's not how it works. You wives are saying, well, this only applies to the men, but the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 1, likewise, you wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife. Here we have a saved lady married to an unsaved man and bringing him to a place of accepting the Lord as his Savior by the way she behaves herself toward him. The Bible teaches us clearly that if we're going to have a good marriage, we must. Take the responsibility. We must say, My relationship must be right towards them, regardless of how their relationship is uh, towards me. We can continue on and we come to our next Bible principle, which is refocus your reasoning. Refocus your reasoning. As I said a moment ago, many individuals will tell you that they could have a good marriage if their spouse would simply change a few things. But the truth of the matter is you cannot fix your spouse. You can only fix yourself. There's nothing you can do about your spouse. A matter of fact, if you set out to to fix your spouse, if you've not encountered this yet, you will. If you set out to fix your spouse, you will find that things get worse, not better. You cannot fix your spouse, you can only fix yourself. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5, and why? Beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. And this is exactly what your spouse thinks when you're trying to fix their problems and all they can see is your problems? Thou hypocrite. Remove first the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. The principle here is that we all have problems. None of us are perfect. None of us have everything in order. And whenever there is a disagreement in the home, we are both contributing to the disagreement. When there is an obstacle in the home, when there is something we can't get past, we are both contributing. We are both giving to it. And whenever we are both contributing to the disagreement uh, and in the midst of the disagreement, this person uh, is trying to fix this person and this person is trying to fix this person. Uh, Instead of fixing anything, the disagreement escalates. But it's the only way that we as people know how to resolve disagreements is to tell the other person how wrong they are, louder and more forcefully. And then they return with the same vigor. And what should have never happened becomes a serious problem. You see, we need to refocus our reasoning and instead of thinking the way that we naturally think as humans, we need to begin to think the way that God tells us to think. And God says, take care of yourself first. You see, when we refocus our reasoning and work on changing ourselves first, then we remove two-thirds of the conflict. You say, how do you remove two-thirds? Well, if I remove what's wrong with me and what I'm contributing to the argument. I take that out. And I stop trying to fix you. That's two-thirds gone. The only thing that is left is one spouse by themselves with no one that will respond. And this is true. I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is true, always true. Anger can't live unless it is being fed. And whenever you're in contention, you're putting fuel on each other's fire. But whenever you say, look, I'm not going to contribute to this anymore. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to see what's wrong with myself. I'm going to see the areas that I need to change. I'm going to start working on myself. I'm not going to contribute. I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm just going to focus on making sure that I'm living according to the Word of God, that I have the right spirit towards you, that I'm honoring God in my behavior towards you, and you work on fixing yourself, although they may not love you as the way they should, they're going to find that it's difficult to pour the anger out anymore because there's nobody putting fuel on the fire. The overall atmosphere of the home will be improved and many times, not always, but many times, most of the time, if you work on fixing yourself, your spouse will follow suit. But somebody has to be first. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us an idea of how we should conduct ourselves when we're dealing with others. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 4, the Bible says, Charity suffereth long. That means you're patient with one another and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. That's pride thinking that I'm right and you're wrong. That needs to go away doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Verse number 7 says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. This is how the Bible instructs us to interact with others and especially, especially with our spouse. This is how we are to interact. The Bible says in verse number 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, Charity never faileth. It works if you do it God's way. Whenever you stop focusing on trying to fix your spouse but rather focus on and change your own failures, many times you will see a happy home emerge. Now I do want to interject right here that there are some devilish people out there. Let me just interject that there are some people who are so bent on evil that it doesn't matter what you do. They are bent on evil and they will continue to go the wrong way and they will continue to wreck the home. I understand that those people exist. My heart breaks for those that are married to them who are going through that pain and agony. I understand and I'm not at all saying that this is a blanket application. We are individuals with a free will and there are people who can choose to rebel against the principle of God even when you're doing everything that you can to do right. But I also want to say that I believe those examples are a lot rarer than we like to admit. And I believe that most relationships can be restored if we follow the principle of God's word and say, look, I'm going to work on fixing myself and then we will see God work in their life and we will see the home restored. God gives us the example of Hosea and Gomer and Gomer was a a prostitute. She was a woman who wouldn't stay home. She had children that wasn't Hosea's and yet Hosea continued to love her the way that God said to love her and when we come to the end of the book of Hosea, we find a happily married couple. So I believe these situations of people who will not respond are far more rare than we like to admit. But many times we write them off way too soon. Why? Because we're focused on their faults, not our faults. So how do we, how do we fix our marriage? We focus on ourselves. We change our reasoning. It goes against the grain. It doesn't happen naturally, but it's a biblical principle and it will work. But whenever we're going to do this, many times we have to do the next step. And that is release the offenses. Release the offenses. You know, forgiveness is crucial to a good marriage. Matter of fact, Marriage is teamwork, right? And in order to have a good team, you need to practice. And so if you're going to have a good marriage, you need to practice forgiveness regularly. Forgiveness is crucial to a good marriage. What, is, what do I mean when I say that forgiveness is crucial? Well, you know what? Before this day is over, probably, I'm going to do something that upsets Miss Pumpkin. I'm going to try to do good. I'm going to try to behave myself. I'm going to try not to do anything that I shouldn't do. But I'm sure before this day's over, I'm going to do something that she's like, John, what'd you do that for? (laughs) (laughs) Terry, she's taking after you. Amen and at the wrong places. (laughs) But you know what keeps the relationship harmonious? is that she is quick to forgive. He done it again. I don't know why. He leaves his Bible and his commentaries and his computer scattered all over my coffee table every time I clean it up. I don't know why he does that. It irritates me, but it's okay. And she forgives and forgets immediately. Doesn't hold it against me. It's final. You know what? I try to practice the same thing when she does something. Very rarely, maybe once every five years. She does something that upsets me. I try to be very quick to offer that forgiveness. Hey, yes, she did that. Yes, it irritated me. And it's going to happen. Uh, If you are shooting for a marriage that is absolutely perfect and you never offend each other, you you might as well just go live in a cave. You're not going to find it. It's going to happen. You're going to offend one another. You're going to rub each other wrong. It's going to happen. How do you keep it harmonious? You are quick to forgive. You love them and you you forgive them and you don't hold it against them and you just let it go. We have got to learn to release the offenses. In Matthew 18, verse number 21, Peter comes to the Lord Jesus and he says, How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven Bible tells us in Colossians 3 and verse number 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You want to have a good relationship, learn forgiveness. Now, apology is important. And if I'm the one that offended and I know that I offended, I should be quick to apologize. And I believe that your apology should always cry louder than your offense. Always. It's not a sincere apology unless the apology cries louder than the offense. And I should be quick to apologize. But you know what? Not only should I be quick to apologize, you should be quick to forgive. If you want to have a harmonious relationship, you need to be issuing that forgiveness while the offense is taking place. Not going to hold it against them. I'm forgiving, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. And when they apologize, you can be like, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Why? Because you've already forgiven them. Already forgiven them. There's some things we should learn about forgiveness. Forgiveness should be intentional. Forgiveness should be verbalized. You hear people say, oh, I forgave them in my heart. They don't know that. Forgiveness should be verbalized. You should let them know, I forgive you. It should be convincing. Forgiveness should be clear. Whenever you try to live together with a history of unforgiving offenses, you will find that harmony is nearly impossible. Because although you may have some good days, whenever you run into a bump in the road, all those offenses resurface. Over and over and over again. And it becomes nearly impossible to live together when you have a list of areas where they done me wrong. They done me wrong here and here and here and here and here. And every time they do something wrong, we reread the entire list and add another one on the bottom. Living together in harmony is impossible if you keep that list. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. You don't owe me. Forgiveness is tearing that sheet up and throwing it away. You don't owe me. And if in your marriage you have been accustomed to constantly bringing up the list, then there needs to be a time when you intentionally sit down and let your spouse know I'm tearing the list up and it will never, ever resurface again. I'm forgiving you and never again will I bring them up. And Whenever you forgive those debts, you will find that living in harmony becomes a lot more natural than it was before. Releasing those past offenses through clear and open forgiveness will allow you to move forward in your relationship. A few little quotes about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice that must be reaffirmed as often as the offense resurfaces. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. If you're waiting until you feel like you can forgive them, you'll never forgive them. It's a decision that you're going to release it regardless. It's a decision. Forgiveness uh, uh, is, uh, is the decision, as I said a moment ago, to release the debt. If you forgive someone, don't rehearse the debt. If I tell my wife that I forgive her of something that she has done and then in my own mind I'm constantly rehearsing it, I've not truly forgiven her. Forgive When you forgive, you no longer rehearse the debt. To maintain a good marriage, forgiveness must be practiced often. It must be full, it must be final, and it must be complete. Unforgiveness holds you captive from being able to move forward in repairing your own faults because you are continuing to blame your spouse for all the problems in your marriage. Speaking of verbalizing forgiveness brings us to our next biblical principle for a good marriage, and that is to rehearse your words. To rehearse your words. The world says, sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me. But the Bible says that the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now many times we like to say uh, that we can run off at the mouth and we can say mean and hurtful things uh, and we like to believe uh, that we can later tell them, oh, I didn't mean that or, "Oh, I'm," I, you know, why would you take that that way? And it's because we're following the world's philosophy that words don't have weight. But the Bible clearly teaches us that words have a tremendous amount of weight. You know, it interests me how that whenever we go out into public, uh, we know how to behave ourselves cordially around the cashier that we've never met before. We know how to be polite when we ask the gas station attendant to help us out with something. uh, We know how to say thank you when somebody holds the door open for us. All these people are strangers that we've never met before and will never meet again. But we know how to be cordial. We know how to be polite. We know how to be appreciative. And then we come home to the person that we love more than anybody in the world and our mouth spews venom. The tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You're like, oh, it's just my wife. Oh, it's just the husband. I mean, I shouldn't have to say thank you. I shouldn't have to show be polite. I mean, they know who I am. I might say yes, sir, to this person, but I don't have to say yes, sir, to him. I might say yes, ma'am, to her, but I don't have to say yes, ma'am, at home. Why? Why? Why do we think that way? If there is anybody That ought to get the best that our tongue has to offer. It ought to be our spouse. We ought to learn to rehearse our words. Think about what you're going to say. Think about it. The Bible says that let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. You know what that means? That means it's okay to take a few minutes to answer especially if the comment that you received caused emotion on the inside, just sit still until it's gone. Rehearse your words. If you want to have a good home, watch the tongue, watch the tongue. I believe that more homes have blown apart because people failed to watch their tongue. Make sure that if your tongue is releasing venom and poison, it is never, ever That's your spouse. The Bible says that we're to speak always with grace. That's not talking about just when you're at church around the preacher. Always. That means when you're at home. Let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt that you might know how to answer every man. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Verse 2 says the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of the fools poureth out foolishness. Verse number 4 says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. I believe that we need to rehearse our words. Harsh words have no place in the home and you are responsible for what you say. I've got a couple more, but I've done went way over time here, so if y'all need more help with your marriage, you can check me later, and I'll share these other two points with you. But whenever you look at the five points that I've looked at thus far, there's a trend that goes through all of the points. I don't know if you picked up on it. But the trend that goes through all of the points says if you want to have a good relationship, fix you. If you want to have a happy home, fix you yourself. If you want to be able to interact and engage and, and 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 have harmony in your home, work on yourself and let God take care of your spouse. I believe many homes struggle because we're always trying to fix the other rather than focusing on ourselves.